Welcome to the Building Science Podcast. Welcome to this. Okay. Oh, welcome to the Building Science. To the Building Science Podcast. Podcast. Welcome to the Building Science Podcast. Bringing the human factor to architecture and design. Brought to you by Positive Energy in Austin, Texas. Okay, hello and welcome back, everybody. Welcome back to the Building Science Podcast. I'm Christoph Irwin, here with our podcasting intern, Nico. Say hello, Nico. Hello. Miguel's not here right now. He is taking a much-needed vacation. Today, we have the great good fortune of having Tim White with Texas Healthy Homes with us, and we're going to be talking about hemp and hempcrete in the context of healthy homes, and actually in the context of the business of healthy homes. And when I say healthy, hempcrete has it coming and going. It's healthy for both the occupants. It creates indoor environments that are healthy for the occupants and healthy for the environmental ecosystems that produces hemp and uh, upon which we all depend. So I'm going to give a very brief overview now of the subject of hempcrete. And um, then I'm going to introduce Tim and then we're going to dig in. And I just want to refer everyone here that we did a interview with Maddie Mead of Hempitecture. So that's also a good place to go for <laughs> more of the basics, basic information. Um, So hempcrete, Uh, it's not concrete. Uh, Hempcrete is a building material that makes a slurry like concrete. It might might remind you of it, but hempcrete is made from a mixture of hemp herds, lime and water and herds is spelled H-U-R-D-S. That's the woody core of the hemp plant. And the the variety of uses of the hemp plant is it could be its own podcast it is a tremendous material it is uh, one that we're going to be talking about for decades to come undoubtedly so we're talking about hempcrete today because of its properties right hempcrete would be called a biocomposite in our modern language and it is certainly part of the future of construction um, because of its impact reduced impact on the land and its positive impact on us It's been around for thousands of years as a building product, right? The Egyptians 3000 years ago, um, been used for things like ropes and nets and fabrics. Uh, In fact, canvas sails made out of hemp, you know, the word cannabis comes from canvas um, is is related to the word canvas. So it's been used in shipbuilding. Um, It is for those of you listening from the Americas, from North America, the United States of America, I guess, George Washington grew hemp, right? It was an essential crop in colonial America, and it was used to make all sorts of things, even early forms of insulation. Those of you who are going, huh, hempcrete's new, right? So I hope that this introduction has you already going, no, it's not. It's been around for thousands of years. There was a concerted effort in the 1930s, misinformation campaigns due to the fact that hemp presented a threat to petrochemical industry, uh, pharmaceuticals industry, as well as the, the paper industry. So when, when you have folks like William Randolph Hearst, DuPont, and Rockefeller uh, wanting you gone, then uh, misinformation thrives. So that's why we're probably not hearing about it. But why we want to hear about it is it has some amazing properties, right? Like I'll just go into the, the Tim and I will talk about the healthy home side. So just talking about it as a crop, right? Hemp is associated with, uh, you can get two crops per year. You know, let's see you do that with a forest. Um, or sometimes more, I've actually heard up to three crops per year, three cycles, growing, growing cycles in certain season. And in that context, it uses less water. Hemp has very deep roots. It can access groundwater. It can, it's more drought tolerant, reduces the need for 
irrigation. That's a big deal. It also uses less fertilizer, right? And if that's not enough, it absorbs and remediates soil contaminants, right? So it's not just needing less fertilizer. It is nitrogen fixing from the air, you know, taking N2 out of the air and converting it to a usable form of nitrogen for itself and for subsequent crops, right? So reduces the reliance on future fertilizers and benefits overall soil health. Wow. And then the last one, pesticides, right? So it has terpenes and cannabinoids. There's your CBD and uh, cannabinoids. I think I said that wrong. And those are natural pesticides as repel insects. It's also less susceptible to fungal diseases compared to other crops like wheat and, wheat and corn. It is an amazing, amazing plant. Less water, less fertilizer, less pesticide. Now you do have to think about it, right? You do have to do pest management strategies and think about the soil and think about water. But generally speaking, it's it's superior in all those ways. So that's why we're talking about it. And um, a little bit of why you haven't been hearing about it since the 1930s. Okay, and now it gives me great good fortune, sincerely, to introduce Tim White, a fine man, pioneer. I don't know if you call yourself a founder, but Texas Healthy Homes is certainly thriving in its own right now. And uh, Tim has been leveraging more than three decades uh, of excellence in revitalizing natural building material practices, right? So the guy you're listening to is walking the talk, and he's also been willing to sort of push a boulder uphill against societal norms in the construction industry. So I want you to remember that since 2020, he's been focusing efforts on networking with different decortication facilities. That is the process that removes the herd from the hemp fiber hemp plant. And his company also creates their own hydraulic lime. And we should definitely talk about the difference between hydraulic lime and quick lime. Well, I think I'm going to let you take over, Tim. I'm, I feel like I'm botching your introduction. Tim, welcome. Is, would you like to tell us a little more about yourself and particularly uh, anything associated with your background? Um, yes, Christoph. Thank you very much for inviting me onto the podcast today. It's an honor to get a chance to network with uh, everybody out there and to try to promote the direction that we want to go in the building sector with using a nature-based solution because that's where we need to go. As for me, I've been involved in natural building now since the late 90s. And in that process, I was noticing a lot of different wall systems being covered with airtight barriers that were of a natural material, light straw clay, straw bale. And we, were no, we knew then that if we did that, that it would trap moisture inside of the wall system. So I dove off in trying to learn the most that I could about historic natural earthen based plasters and then moved in the direction of really trying to track down what was taking place with these historic lime plasters. And that led me down this rabbit hole of trying to understand what the Romans were doing. I was fortunate that after I did a tour in the service, I got, took my GI money and I went to college and got degrees in a bachelor's of arts degrees in field biology, and anthropology with an emphasis in archaeology. And so with those two degrees, I've been literally able to do an in-depth, hands-on, research-based... Exploration. <laughs> exploration, 
I have a friend who says, Tim, you have an intimate relationship with the materials that you're using because you are using them in the field and you're actively keeping track of the research that you're doing to try to go back in time and reperfect Roman concrete, basically. And that's what we're doing. We're using a high calcium limes that are based right now in Texas. We're using different types of pozzolans, which are amorphous silicas, um, volcanic ash, low-fired clays. And this gets us into the question that you had mentioned about, Christoph, of hydraulic limes that go with the hemp herd to make the hempcrete system. You can use straight lime, but lime, it gets its strength by pulling CO2 out of the atmosphere as it turns back into limestone. What you do when you go down the direction of a naturally hydraulic lime or adding different pozzolans to a high calcium lime, you're creating a chemical reaction inside of it that creates different cementitious gels that lead to a set. Hydraulic limes mean that they will set underwater. Um, for yeah. us, it also means that when we put our first coat of plaster, if we put our binder into our hydraulic, our Roman concrete binder, basically, into the hemp herd, and we end up putting it into a form as a cast-in-place system is one way that hempcrete is installed into a wall cavity. You put boards on each side, and you put it in the middle, and you tamp it into place. Another direction to go is to make a block with that material. And with that block, mm -hmm. then you can put it into a, a timber frame or a a mass timber structure. And so when you go in those directions, you start to take and do more of a post and beam or a pole barn sort of design or a skyscraper. And then when you go and make your walls, you can actually do a cast in place or make a block out of hempcrete that then you would stack in there. So an example of a skyscraper, we could replace all the metal studs we could replace all the drywall with a hempcrete sort of block as our wall partitions, and then we can plaster directly over top of them. So at the end of the day, you're taking a lime and or a hydraulic lime to get your cementitious set. Instead of using Portland cement to create... Exactly a cementitious set with the material. Exactly right. Yeah. And so that's where I wanted to go with this. I mean, back to the lime, right? There's, there's quick lime calcium oxide, which needs 2000 degrees Fahrenheit to be made. And then there's hydraulic limes, hydrated limes, slaked lime. Um, if I'm understanding this right, that's calcium hydroxide. And it's only needing like 300 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, which you can certainly do with electrical, but I wanted to actually touch on the the pozzolan when you when you mentioned the pozzolans because you know, I've been in this geeking out about hempcrete for many years now, and I remember pozzolans as being like this this hurdle that just knocked me over. I couldn't get it. Like, what is that? And I just want to be clear for people: like, whether it's conventional cement, you know, which we mix with other with rocks and sand and water to create concrete, when you're making hempcrete. Uh, well, so either one, hempcrete and concrete have pozzolans, and those are silicaceous materials and aluminous materials sometimes that they're really, they're not part of the cement, but they're part of the, 
like they chemically chemically react with the lime and the water to give the physical properties of the material. So you could just think of the pozzolans as this really important ingredient that helps make the overall recipe work. And then kind of leave it there unless you want to go deeper. Um, and it's named after, I think, Tim, do you remember this? It's named after the region in Italy that it was found. I guess, it's a, yeah, it's named after Pozzolani, or, um, Pozzolani in, in Rome. Um, because the Romans, when they would go out and conquer areas, their engineers would go out to volcanic hillsides and try to find a volcanic tuft. And the Romans, over research that they did um, through their guild system, found that if they took their lime, um, that was a limestone that was burned in their kilns and then slaked in a big hole. If they took that and added it to river sand and beat it into a formwork that they put along the ocean, and then they took this, what they called pit sand, which is a volcanic tuft, and they mixed it with their lime and beat it into the, into the form right next to the one that was lime and river sand, then they would let that formwork sit for a year they would pull that formwork off and then they'd come back a year later and look at it to see what had happened. Well, the lime and river sand had literally washed into the ocean and the lime and the pit sand looked like the day they had pulled the formwork on it. And that was their, that was yeah. their R and D. And it doesn't take much to be like, uh, yeah, we need to go in this direction. And so then when she started to go in that direction with a superior material, you will tweak it from time to time. But you're already heading in a positive direction. You know, none of that was tested in a lab. That was all on-site, complete observation. But it's really funny when you talk about this mysteriousness of pozzolans, when you get to looking at the Roman recipes, they were literally calling one aggregate material river sand, and they were calling the other aggregate pit sand. And so it doesn't get any more basic than that, Christoph. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of not invented, can't be patented, right? And I think that's one of the challenges in our modern economy. Uh, cement has a patent and people want to use it. But they both, whether it's um, Portland-based cement, which is, again, named after a place, place in England, mm -hmm. the stone, color of the stone, I think. Yeah, that's one. But both Portland cement and hempcrete, or natural cement, I guess you could say, natural plasters, it's really the hydrogen bonding, this intermolecular force um, that's really kind of the magic that's holding it all together, giving it, giving it its material properties. But back to you, actually, I was asking you to finish your introduction. So you, you did, you did some, you, I mean, fantastic, a background in field biology and archaeology after being in the service. Um, somehow you decided to pursue a career um, like I said, rolling a boulder uphill, like, um, and just now pretty deep into your career. For those of you, this is a podcast. Tim is, um, got a nice, beautiful white beard. Um, he's not in his twenties any longer. And yet he was out on a job site at six 30 this morning in a hundred plus degrees. Um, but you're finally getting some recognition and I wanted to recognize that at the beginning of this show. So uh, tell us about the award you just got, Tim. Um, yeah. Uh, Texas Healthy Homes on our project, we call our Hondo project. We just won the U.S. Hemp Building Association's Hempcrete Building of the Year for 2022 and 2023. Um, and yeah, it, it's really exciting. And it's the, the most exciting thing for me around that project, besides winning an award, 
is I got into this natural building because I wanted to make a difference in the world on the building sector. And I knew that the cements, I knew the acrylics, and at the end of the day, latex paint is just liquid plastic. Yeah. That these are all super high carbon footprint building materials mm-hmm. that are leading to the devastation of the environment. And yeah. after all of my experiences, I came to a place where I was like, I get to choose what I want to do. I don't have to go down that path and take the easy street. I'm okay taking the, the hard road. I'm okay cutting a new path through the jungle. It's not a big deal. And so in that, it was like, okay, how do I get experience as a natural builder? And so I worked on a number of straw bale houses, light straw clay houses, adobe houses, compressed earth block projects. And all of them, I found over that time period that it was really drawn to the plaster systems, the historic lime plasters, the interior clay plasters. And so the Hondo project gave us the opportunity to move to that next direction to this new market with hempcrete that is coming into the United States. Again, um, the industrial sector of hemp from the adult use sex sector of hemp is the industrial sector is very new um, because of all the legislation around it and the permits you have to get for the farmers to grow it. We're finally here in the last three years able to get American-made hemp from the United States or a hemp herd from the industrial plant. Um, there's a number of Yay. companies trying to do it. Well, and, huge I, deal. I, yeah, and I was exposed to it back in 2007 um, on a project when I was then working for a company called American Clay Enterprises um, in charge of their R and research and development and education, education programs. And um, I was like, yeah, this is really cool. It's just like a light straw clay project, except we're not using strong clay. We're using a hydraulic lime and hemp herd. But this all comes from Europe. As a sustainable builder, (laughs) as a sustainable builder is how I classify myself, not a green builder in any way, shape, or form, a sustainable builder. Mm -hmm. Because we look at the materials, where they're coming from, what's their carbon footprint, We're not just looking at how airtight we can make the building and how many low energy efficient appliances we can put into a building. Um, You know, we're looking at the the whole project. And since it came in, and since we were able to get an American-based herd, I was like, okay, right on. We can actually run this down. We can try to go in this direction because I've been making lime and pozzolans and one more thing on pozzolans. Once you jump off that bridge into understanding pozzolans, you're headed down the bridge of alchemy. Mm-hmm. True alchemy. Yeah. So it's not for the yeah, it's really. not for the faint-hearted. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Actually, I'd like to touch on something briefly here because it's it's coming up twice, and I I know I'm going to have the same sort of tone. But let's just be clear together. And I don't have notes on this at all. This is me. Just mm-hmm. I don't want to like vilify people that are existing stakeholders in the industry. And yet there are good, hardworking, disciplined, ethical people engaged in actions that are leading society in directions that we don't really want to go. And so, you know, I think everyone knows by now that we want low embodied carbon materials and that we need to be extremely 
judicious and limited with concrete, glass, and steel, and foamed plastics or plastic generally. But that really, like, it's more basic than that. We build shelter for ourselves as beings, and we want the shelter to have qualities like, but that's where structural code comes in or fire code, or, you know, that's why we have clean potable water. And that's why we have wastewater systems. All these things happen because we want to take care of ourselves as beings and we're smart, we're clever. And when we started out down the fossil fuel petrochemical path, we didn't know then what we know now. And yet to, to move forward, to, as you say, to move forward in a truly sustainable way, which could be very pithily described as to live in a way that doesn't prevent future generations from, you know, being able to live with a high quality of life, which is actually kind of what we're doing right now. We are preventing <laughs> future generations. So how do you talk about that? Right. And I, my last comment is that it's, you know, so structural fire code, potable water, wastewater. And now we're saying, well, what about the environmental qualities of the indoor space, you know, indoor air quality, indoor sound, odor, light, vibration, things like that. And then, of course, the big one over the last 50 years, but really starting to become mainstream now is what about the environmental ecosystems in which we live constantly immersed and resource ourselves from? Their health is also critical to our health. So those of you listening, you know, if Tim and I start to venture into something that sounds like we're vilifying, we're not vilifying a person. There's no, there's no such thing as a good or bad person. There's just skillful and unskillful actions in the world. And skillful action leads society in a direction that it that you could call, uh, logically, you could say this is forward. This is progress. And right now we're kind of stuck. Um, and it's interesting, just I'm sorry to be talking long, Tim, but it's interesting that, you know, that hemp and hempcrete has been around for thousands of years and yet it's considered new. And the reason it's considered new is that it was just a tremendously successful misinformation campaign in the thirties. I mean, the federal narcotics agency was in on it. Right. And okay. So now I've gone down the conspiracy theory around, which is actually not conspiracies. Those are just true. Just look them up. There are newspaper headlines. And um, what is that movie reefer madness? Oh man, watch that. It's hysterical. Um, but back to you, you were talking about alchemy and pozzolans and your, your dedication to, to follow this rabbit hole well and just try to get back to okay how do we how do we create a house that could be sustainable and how do we create a building that has some of those properties in it so that we can say hey here's an example and so with the hondo project that's what we did we're like great hondo's a place in texas by yeah, the way y'all. hondo's a place in texas and this this project's out in the middle of nowhere and we never name any of our houses our buildings that we do off of our clients we always name them off of some feature. Um, the project we're working right now on is the spring project because the owners have a natural little spring on their property. But hmm, what the Hondo project did is it allowed us to use an American-based herd with our lime and pozzolan blends, our high Roman concrete blends that we're making. All the lime came from um, Austin, Texas. So it, you know, a couple hours away. And then we took it a next step. We said, we don't want to use any drywall in this house at all. So we're going to take and make 10 inch interior walls. We did foot thick exterior walls. We did 10 inch interior walls for all of it was all hempcrete, every single wall. 
the bathroom wall, the closet wall, the guest bedroom wall, the utility oh room. Oh my wall. gosh, the acoustics must be amazing. All of yes, it's super quiet. You, you you never have to worry about patch and drywall. And then we said, okay, the only other place that we got to figure out what to do is on our ceilings. Um, I'm okay with using wood on ceilings because they look beautiful, and you put it up and you're done. And so we did all tongue and groove through this whole building, 2,400 square feet. Then we came in and we said, okay, we're going to do a coat of lime plaster on the inside. We do our three coat historic lime plaster with lime washes on the outside. Um, and then on the interior over our base coat of lime plaster, we did a finished coat of American clays earthen plaster. With the earthen plasters, you're able to put your baseboard down. And if you've got a little gap that normally in the modern construction industry, they would come in there and caulk that before they paint it. Well, we just put a couple of thin coats of plaster to build out to where the edge of our baseboard is. And then we just do the American clay finished coats or however many. I mean, American clay's product is kind of extensive from one coats to different sorts of finishes that you can get. They got like 1,200 colors. So you put the color in the plaster. And then we are really into adobe floors um, instead of concrete slabs. So we do a mm -hmm. weight-bearing concrete grade beam wherever we have a weight-bearing wall. And in between there, we did um, adobe floors. This had 2,300 square feet of adobe floor in it. Um, with that process that you do, then we use a hot oil to seal it give it 10 days to two weeks to dry and cure out. And then you can treat it like any normal floor. Um, they actually outperform wood floors um, in their durability. You guys heard that listening, right? Yeah. And so, <laughs> yeah, they're amazing. If you haven't walked on one listeners, please find yourself the ability to go and to a, a natural clay. Floor. Yeah. And, and, and the clay floors are available. Clay is available all over the world. Yeah. And so, yeah, it, it allowed us to be able to say, wow, Here's an example of a house that has no drywall in it, has no paint in it. We did not use one tube of caulk in the whole house. Okay. That's a mic drop. Oh, <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah. And so it's like, wow. And it it's performing great. I mean, and so yeah. that's the exciting part about it. Um, and, and winning in a national award for it um, through the U.S. Hemp Building Association has put it, how do they put it? The Hondo House is the new bar for yeah, sustainable building. Exactly. It's, it's the benchmark. Right. Yeah, I think what we're all working with, all of it, anyone listening, is a self selected semi-nerdy, thoughtful person in the construction industry. And, you know, the real, the deeper question behind this interview today is how did we arrive at the constellation of practices that we consider normal, right? Like I have friends and family even that are production builders. And uh, that norm is so far from actually the long-term norm. And what you are doing is moving us back. And I want to actually talk about the spring project in Hondo, or is that right? Are they in different spaces? They're in different places. They're two and a half. Hours. Okay. Let's talk about the spring project, mm -hmm. the one you're doing. You, you said the 10-inch interior walls, 12-inch exterior walls. No, no. Walls. That was the Hondo. That's and, the Hondo project. Uh, okay. Let's let's stay on that yeah, one because yeah. I, I was I did, jotted some notes here. So the R value per inch 
for hempcrete, it, it, you know, it's in the two to four range. So even at two, even at the conservative side, you've got some R24 walls. And let's remind everyone, anyone listening, if you haven't listened to the podcast on thermal comfort, your body doesn't really respond to interior air temperatures. It responds to interior surface temperatures. And so this is one of the places where hempcrete has phenomenal benefit, right? It's, it's a thermal mass. Your, your interior is, is like a thermal flywheel. So buffering changes throughout the day. So just incredibly comfortable, incredibly quiet, um, quite doable. Plus the moisture properties of hempcrete. Um, not super prepared to talk about all of them, but you know it's vapor permeable. It's completely breathable. This ability for it to maintain it's like it has this natural humidity regulation property. And so what that can mean is it could be absorbing heat from the inside space, converting some of the moisture that's in the surface of the hempcrete to vapor, thus cooling the space, sort of naturally cooling the space. It's highly resistant to water damage. People with multiple chemical sensitivity are seeking out hempcrete homes. Um, these natural lime plasters and finishes are just like, again, alchemy. They're just this amazing air sealing. I mean, people have done passive house level enclosures with hempcrete. Um, so really there's no good reason not to be looking at hempcrete except for it's not currently known about, you know, hence, hence us talking to you. Do you know more about the water properties that you want to comment on? Not to put you on the spot. Oh too. yeah. Yeah. Um, I've done a lot, a couple research papers and in the context of interior health. Yeah. Yeah. yeah in yeah. the context of interior health. And that's one of the reasons that Texas healthy homes and Tim white, we only do earthen plasters, clay plasters over our interior wall surfaces. Um, clay carries that negative ionic charge and that negative ionic charge of the clay is able to interact with the bipolar properties of water at water vapor at vaporization. So it's manipulating the humidity inside of the building envelope more actively even than the hemp is. Definitely more actively yeah, than true. the lime. But as a finish, the, the limes over the herd wall or the hempcrete wall, and then we do a clay finish over top of it. And so now we've got three products that are vapor permeable, and we've got a clay product on the surface that's even more wanting to interact with that humidity inside of the building envelope to get itself to between 45 and 65% humidity and around 56 to 65 degrees. That's where it's wanting to, to be, just like it is in the ground. We say those numbers again, Tim? Um, humidity. The humidity, about 45 to 65% humidity is what it's wanting to, 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 to be at, which is kind of the same humidity that your mucous membranes yeah. in the human body like. Um, and it wants to be at a temperature between 56 and around 70 degrees in that zone is where it's Beautiful. naturally trying to go with itself. And so it's able to interact with that, what they call the latent heat flux of water of vaporization. And so there's yeah. another energy chain there. And then we are talking about liquid to steam energy, you know, and anybody who's been burnt yeah, to vapor. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody who's been, burnt with hot water understands that that's hot, but anybody who's been burnt with steam understand that that's a lot hotter. That is crazy. hot. Yeah. Right? And so it's, it's manipulating that, which we're finding is that once you can manipulate that with the natural material, now you can start to look at downsizing your mechanical systems and 
one thing that I've noticed in all of the natural buildings that I've done from hempcrete to straw bale to light straw clay, all of them, the biggest problem that we have with getting good door, good indoor temperature regulation is not going over to your thermostat and turning on the thermostat. The best way and the way it performs best if people start to open their windows. We were, Interesting. we were down in the Hondo project and it was 97 degrees outside. We had windows open and when we walked inside, it was like 77 degrees. On that mm-hmm. is that that's because the outdoor humidity is coming in and countering the la- the lime plaster walls going through a phase transition and absorbing absorbing but we also that. have all of that mass we don't have anything that's a synth like a latex in it so we don't have anything mm-hmm. where it's mm-hmm. condensating the moisture and the humidity right. is not able to it so it's like literally stepping out in the sun and then stepping underneath a shade tree you know, you yeah, kind of beautiful. get that difference. And so what we find is that it automatically wants to regulate that temperature inside of it. When you go over there and turn your thermostat and you turn your AC unit on and it's all airtight, what happens is you start to cool the wall and then we start to get water condensating inside of our wall cavities, that extra humidity. And so going back to what they used to do, just open some windows or be strategic about it and open your windows in the evening and close them at about eight o'clock in the morning. And you've already cooled that space inside. It's super insulative. I mean, going back to what you were talking about, the R value of hempcrete, I actually think the R value per inch on a good hempcrete wall system is closer to an R10 per inch instead of an R2 per inch with all the research that we've done on site with how it is not a thermal conductor. It's got lime, which has got dual reflectivity in it. So it's not conducting any heat. If you're not conducting any heat, it's hard to transfer that heat inside. Our modern code system has some crazy little test sample thing. It doesn't test the true thickness of the material. we, we did a little wall that was around a fire pit and we needed a windbreak. So we threw down some bottles into some hempcrete material so we could see what it looked like through it. And that was about a 10 inch wall. The next day we started building fires next to it. It took us two weeks to burn through that little wall. And in the process, cause it had glass bottles in it. It looked really cool. We were melting glass. <laughs> oh my God. And we did not get any heat transfer through the hempcrete until we were under two inches thick. And I mean, I literally had a wall that was, I mean, there was a fire, big fire. Um, yeah. And so, by, by the way, y'all, glass melts like 2,500 degrees Fahrenheit, like very, very high temperatures. Yeah. We were melting green glass and brown glass and all of that stuff with it that was inside of that wall. Um, because I was like, how long is it going to take us to burn through this, you know, however thick a, a Corona bottle is. Yeah. Incredible. Um, and so, so when I start to see those type of examples and I've got my laser thermometer on the backside of the wall, trying to see if I'm getting any temperature difference at all from the sides of the wall to right in the center. And when we get down to under two inches of hempcrete, we finally start to see the heat starting to rise when we got literally a fire underneath of the wall. 
at no time did the hempcrete ever burn. Um, so those are the type yeah, of things. Yeah. It's like, how do we get to actually doing a true test on a wall? Um, mm -hmm. And going back one more thing about the hempcrete wall system, I think that it's important right. that we cover, Christoph, is that when you go down this direction of the hempcrete wall system, we, we move from the modern conventional construction industries hollow cavity wall system with two by fours and insulation to a monolithic wall that is a solid wall, um, 10 inches or 12 inches, however thick that exterior wall is for the design um, yeah. that does not have any thermal bridging because we don't have any two by fours or two by sixes that are going from the exterior wall to the interior wall. So we get completely rid of our thermal bridging. We also, in the same process, went to a system where insects and rodents will not live in it because it's too hard for them to dig through it. Whereas if you go to a hollow cavity system, mice and rodents can get on an electrical line and run the whole length of the house on an electrical line going through every little hole that they cut in the two by fours, or they can just zip right up top the wall and crawl through a hole at the top. And so you end up heading down this. Yeah, let's just make it clear for listeners that hempcrete is, is filling in the spaces between structure. I mean, it's total cavity fill insulation, but it's not a structural there's true. I know we've, touched on it already, but people hear hempcrete and they think concrete and they think they're getting a concrete house and it's hempcrete structural. So that's not the case. Not, not the case. But yeah. I'm with you. Yeah. yeah mm -hmm. It's not the case yet. Um, there are some of us like myself who are trying to see if we can make an Adobe style block out of hempcrete that could meet Adobe building code. And we could actually use it as a structural material for wow. single story, two story houses and get rid of the framing altogether. Um, wow. In that interim, we're going in the direction on our future projects of going to a simple timber frame so we can get our shear value with our knee braces with the timber frame structure, put an engineered truss mm -hmm. on top of it, and then we can infill it with blocks or with an infill type of system, a cast in place system. In the interim, also with the hempcrete out there, there are different block designs and different ways to do the cast in place that goes around the conventional stick frame envelope. Hmm. There are some different, there, there's some engineering things that need to be checked off with that system, but that is one way that some people are trying to say, let's just change the insulation. Let's just change that part of the wall cavity and keep the modern system of the stick frame system that's out there because the stick frame system is out there and it's not going anywhere anytime soon. Yeah. We have taken the direction yeah. of let's do a post and beam system so we can get rid of some of our wood and deal with our windows and doors um, in a, in a, with a post and beam type of a system. Um, on the Hondo project, we used two by fours that were screwed and nailed together. And we used uh, two LVLs for our beam. Um, incredibly strong, especially when you know, you're making sure you got them at eight feet, no more than eight feet with two to three two by fours screwed and nailed together. Um, and that's another thing that we've started to do. Instead of gluing and nailing them, we said, we're gonna screw them together and then we're gonna come back and nail them together. 
so we can get the glue out of holding two two by fours together. Our three two by fours are a post deck stack that we're doing. Um, it's those type of creative things that are super strong. And, you know, everybody would say, oh, well, it costs more for the screws than it does for the glue. Um, T25 screws are not cheap, you know, no. but every dollar each, depending on. Yeah. Yeah. And well, and these are, you know, but this is your house. This is our shelter. Yeah. Like, why is it that our, we want to carry a, you know, very powerful computer in our pocket, but our shelter should be optimized for low first cost. Right. But if you, if you glue it together, where you, did that logic come from? Right. If you glue it together though, you got to go buy some PL 400. And I don't know if you priced a tube of that stuff out lately. But that's not cheap yeah, either. and you're also moving toward the the health impacts that people come into you. But I have two other topics, yeah. and I think you know it's funny. We started talking about moisture properties, and you ended up talking about fire properties. So like the hemp is just this like alchemy is a beautiful way to think about it. When you mix hemp herbs, which is the woody, like you could almost say like the unusable part of the hemp, right? Because the hemp fibers are going into all sorts of things. That's where the ropes and the sails. And today, I think you can buy socks and shirts out of hemp and jackets. Um, but yeah, and then the flowers and the seeds, <laughs> we're not going to go down into hemp as a plant, but hemp herds, pozzolans, water and lime, the, it's not alchemy, you know, it's chemistry and it's, it's microbiology, but the, the impact on our health is, is tremendous. Um, yeah. And one thing tipping my hat, this is where I'm going with my next house, personal house. Yeah. Please. And, uh, and what, what, what we found is that, okay, to build our wall system, what do we need? We need hemp herd, we need lime, and we need clay. I mean, at the end of the day, Christoph, it's like Occam's razor. The equation with the least amount of variables is always the correct equation. The modern construction industry, we've gone down to this equation of to do a wall system. I mean, it's extensive. Yeah, you need the entire petrochemical industry. Well, and you need this material and this material and this product and that product. And before you get done looking at it, you look back at it and you're just like, holy cow, there's 10 different materials that we're using that come from who knows where. Whereas with the Texas Healthy Homes hempcrete wall, we've got hempcrete, we've got our lime, some pozzolans in there. We've got our lime plasters on the outside. We've got a base coat of lime plaster on the inside to get us to a flat wall. And then we've got our clay finishes over top of that. And then we replace... 2,300 square yeah. feet of concrete, reinforced concrete and steel with adobe floor that doesn't have any reinforced concrete in it. And we got that from 20 miles down the road. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I have a, I have a few topics now I want to touch yeah. on. This is great. Um, which order to put them in? So just to follow up yeah, on what you just said about these materials, you put them together. It's an alchemy. It's a chemistry. Um, it's also well-known. It's understood science and, and, the point of this podcast is not to go deep into that, but it's it's there. And if you guys want to go another layer deeper, I think Bruce King has a great book. Chris Magwood has some really fantastic mm -hmm. books on hempcrete. Um, New Carbon Architecture specifically has a good introduction. But I wanted to ask you about, so um, you got your lime from Austin. Is that calcium oxide or calcium hydroxide or neither? Um, well, at that point in time, it's a calcium hydroxide. So what happens with lime, which is the lower embodied, mm, I, I don't, I don't really think that's the way to look at it, Christoph. It's more of a, okay. a, a lime cycle. So everybody out there that wants to learn more about lime and how it can be fairly carbon neutral, look up the lime cycle. 
And what you're basically doing is you're taking limestone and you're burning it at a lower temperature than Portland um, and for less time. And you're driving the water and the CO2 off of it. And that gives you what's called a hot lime or calcium oxide. And in the old days, they would take that lump lime, also is what it's called, and they would dig a hole in the ground, fill it with the water, and then pour that calcium oxide into a pit with water. And that would be called sl slaking. Mm -hmm. And that's what turns it into a calcium hydroxide or a calcium dihydroxide actually is. Right, right, dihydroxide. Yeah. C-A-O-H in parentheses. Yeah. Um, and then a lot of people call it a calcium oxide dihydroxide oxide that's that's not okay. that's not the most important thing it's understanding is so limestone limestone is CaCO3 and you're ending up getting lime out and releasing some yeah you're you're driving out. the water off and you're driving the CO2 off which you know would put CO2 into the atmosphere okay let's not fool ourselves um then you slake it it pulls the water back into it and then when you take that calcium oxide or dihydroxide and you mix it with sand and aggregate or herd in this case of the hempcrete wall. And then as it's exposed to the air, as the water comes off of it, it's pulling CO2 into it as it's turning itself back into limestone. Limestone. Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. And so that's kind of the lime, the lime cycle. The lime cycle. We'll do a show note. Um, and so that's, what's kind of taking place there. Now in the 1930s, the lime companies, we're getting destroyed by this new product called Portland cement because it was a dry product that could be mixed on site and it got really hard. Before the 1930s, there was no hydrated lime as we know it today, meaning hmm. uh, calcium dihydroxide, dry lime material. And so the lime companies that were still around got together and said, how do we make us a dry lime dihydroxide product instead of a putty because before mm -hmm. it was all lime mm. putties. And so what happened is they figured out a way that they could take their lump lime, their calcium oxide and put it into a big room, put it under pressure and add a little bit of steam to it so that they moved it from a calcium oxide to a dihydroxide, but they still kept it in a dry form. And that is what we now know as a lime hydrate, which we get as a type S lime, a type N lime, a, a dry lime, not a wet lime. And so before 1933, I think is when they figured that all out, the only lime that was available to, to human civilization um, and mankind was what the Romans and the Egyptians and the Greeks were doing and taking and burning limestone rocks. Well, don't forget the Mayans and the Aztecs also. Um, they got great temples made out of lime in Central America, but they were burning the rock, putting it in water and slaking it and getting what's called a lime putty out of the back end of it. And then they would add that with their aggregate to make their mortars, to make their plasters, to make their Tadillac lime shower systems, to make their aqueducts, all of that. Um, it's really quite cool. Um, but no, oh, it's amazing. I want to go down all those roads, but we can't. Yeah. And, and that's just a, a Cadillac is just one. Of that's just a quick overview and Patrick and Webb can do way more justice with all of that than I can. Um, that's another, uh, podcast coming up. Yeah. Thanks to meeting you, Tim. 
And Tadillac is a, an amazing product, um, like a shower stall or a bathroom, yeah, bathroom floor, that kind of thing. It's alchemy again. I'm going to keep you going toward the healthy homes direction. Yeah, that's um, great. We're already getting pretty deep into it. So um, you're talking to a thoughtful mechanical, you know, MEP engineer here. And uh, there are other reasons to close the windows, right? There's outdoor pollens that people are allergic to there are, you know wildfires might be prevalent um so you were saying yeah that the challenge is that you don't really the challenge with hempcrete home is that the thermal comfort strategy isn't to close the windows necessarily and provide you know in the summer right absorb the heat and send it outside um, are you saying that it's incompatible with that strategy or just, oh, just no, need no. to be more thoughtful about it? I'm just mm -hmm. saying that what we've realized with the natural homes that I've built in the past is that when the mm -hmm. owners start to have an engagement with their environment exterior wise, also as just not the interior, um, and start mm, to beautiful. open some windows and stuff when at certain times of the year, not all the time, that that's when those natural homes which hempcrete is seem to perform best. Um, I get, I get it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I get really, but you can't close them up if there's a wildfire. Oh yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Cool you can system. close them up at different times of the year and all of that. It's just that it yeah. doesn't need to live that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, and I am, I am t very sympathetic to the, to the notion that, um, well, I mean, a lot of homes today are built with connection to nature as a high priority um of course right we are natural beings and connection to nature is is this is own inner alchemy you've got the word alchemy in my head <laughs> um but the, the connection to nature that we see a lot of is in the form of um large glade you know lots of glass so you can see outside you know which implies probably more structural than would normally be needed for uh, smaller windows but the point is the connection to nature as a visual thing is underthinking it tremendously. The actual connection to nature that we want is that mass of outdoor air that we want in our lungs. And the actual connection to nature that we want is are the healthy biofilms that naturally you know, grow on bio-based materials, um, you know, like natural clays and plasters and things as opposed to what grows on glass or grows on steel or plastic paper from sheetrock. Yeah. So it's this interesting thing where we, we kind of misinterpret what connection to nature means when we design homes. What, what I've realized in the building industry is that we've gone in this direction of we're going to make a bunch of big glass windows and then everybody's going to have a connection with nature and that's not working. So what we've taken as a philosophy at Texas Healthy Homes is we're going to make smaller windows that still allow you plenty of daylighting, but we're going to get more energy efficiency because we don't have such a big hole in the wall. And we are going to create covered outdoor spaces that are attached to the house that make it really easy for the occupants of the building to use those spaces. And so we're after making kids' rooms smaller, not bigger. We're about making a bigger open space inside of the house with the kitchen living room as an open space so the children can start to come out into those spaces or the children and the people inside of it have a really nice breezeway or they have a really nice covered porch outside that you could screen in and give them a nice space 
strategic, strategically make them an outdoor living space that is usable so that we can mm -hmm. get the people outside because you can't have a connection to nature looking through a window. You got to be outside in nature in that space to have a connection yeah. with nature. And so we get a lot of blowback from some architects that see our designs and we're like, this is the way we're going. Yeah, those are small windows compared to what would normally be a full wall of glass. Um, but we made this beautiful dog trot or breezeway down through the middle of the house that's all covered. It's got a nice porch outside. Makes you want to go out there. And, you know, Christoph, at the end of the day, when you mechanical engineers, you guys start to look at your glazing that you have on a house and be like, okay, that's going to determine what type of a unit we got to put in this thing. Cause you know, exactly where you're losing your energy. Yeah. You know, it's the dominant energy loss yeah. or gain. Yeah, absolutely. And so if you can get down closer to 13% of your wall surface, kind of on a passive house or a passive solar design, um, Instead of yeah, having, instead of having 30% of your house being glazing, I mean, there's just a huge amount of energy loss that's taking place there. And those huge windows to where at that point in time, it doesn't matter if you got a hempcrete wall or not, because you're losing so much energy out of that window. Yeah. Um, I'm with you. you know? and, yeah. And so that's a struggle that we deal with all the time. Um, it is. And it's, it's one that's, it's deeply woven, right? Like, so we we are naturally highly visual creatures. We use our visual sense for um, food, shelter, clothing, mating. I mean, it's deeply biological, right? So this this reliance on our visual sense to to regulate our activities is something that we shouldn't really fight against. What happens is though that we lose like a connection. In my opinion, this is super meta, by the way. It's like we lose our connection to. We become just intellects. Right. And we come become just our personalities and our eyes say, oh, I have a large view. Therefore, I'm safe. And, you know, my peers will like me and I'll have relational belonging to a, that peer group. You know, we, we kind of just forget that that visual sense is just one of many senses and that health impacts aren't really noticeable or comfort impacts aren't really noticeable with visual. But but I actually wanted to bring you back to one specific thing you can do structure that would accommodate a large picture window at a key view moment in a house and still have the house be hempcrete, right? There's nothing particularly yeah. uh, that will rule that out. No, we just have to be strategic about it. We can't put them everywhere. And if you, I mean, I built a lot of houses in Colorado and was really upset with the massively huge window that they wanted on the north side of the house that was going to just leak. Yeah, thermal wound. Yeah, exactly. I mean... <laughs> And I'm talking like eight foot by 10 foot windows. I mean, yeah, you, just in case your ankles grow eyeballs later, you might want them to peek. Yeah. Out. And yeah, so with, it, it's, it's like we need to we, framing key moments and promoting the connection to nature. It, it's all it's that's one thing. I feel like it's not as thoughtful as it could be right now. Um, and yet at the same time, right, it's tempting to say, oh, these architects, right? Yeah. Well, who are the architects responding to? Who are they taking cues from? Right. Their clients. Um, and so it's an interesting kind of various roles in society. I'm, we're actually getting close to an hour in here, my friend. Yeah. What um, was the last little thing that you wanted to mention there? 
It's cost. It is cost. Like, and it, and it's not just cost, but you're, but you're, so cost dovetailed with, you know, in the pre-call to set this podcast up, we were talking, you were explaining to me that you're getting calls from around the country of people with, with really tragic health issues, multiple chemical sensitivity being one of them. And they're saying, oh, I live in Detroit, but, or I live in, I don't know, wherever you were saying, Ohio. but they're willing to move. Yeah. yeah, Ohio. They're willing to move to wherever to live in this home. Um, so that's one thing. I'd like you to discuss that. And then we can maybe circle back to the cost issue. Okay. Yeah, I can um, do both of them. I mean, there's people out there that I never knew about that have toxic mold in their bodies. Yeah, And it's coming from the thing. built environment, the chemical sensitivities that people are having now and the problems from carpet and paint and all of that. And so that was another thing with the Hondo project we were setting out. I was setting out to say, hey, Here's an example that doesn't have any of that. It is no longer something that somebody you can tell you that, oh, that can't be done because it's never done, been done before. Well, we just did it and won a national award with it. And we, <laughs> Nothing will convince people that it can't be right, done. Well, we were, He's we, better than doing it. Yeah, and we weren't really even set out to do anything, but we were like, you know, my thing is like, I don't want to use that nasty stuff. Um, I don't want to expose my people to it. I don't want to expose me to it. And so that's a really interesting angle too. the construction, uh, the, the, the trades being enclosed. Yeah. You don't want to know how many framing friends that I know that are dying of leukemia that have been framers <sighs> for 40 years. And then they get their leukemia cured and then they got skin cancer. I mean, it's just horrific. And, and this is the one thing I'm going to say about building codes, Christoph, is that I understand the building codes and they market it around health and safety. Then why in the world are all these chemicals being allowed to be used in our buildings? How come they're yeah, not regulated? But anyway, yeah, I wanted to touch on cost. Well, I have a second here. Mm-hmm. This custom house that we did in Hondo, um, I think the kitchen was $40,000 with granite countertops. Sierra Pacific windows in it. And price out some windows. And you'll know that when you start going down the direction of Sierra Pacific windows, you're not going down the direction of a cheap final window. You know, mm-hmm. custom, hard custom solid doors you know so it's a custom house and um we built that house for under 300 dollars a square foot as a custom house so this thing with cost we are wait wait we're, price to the owner was under 300 or you just telling yeah. us your cost now no price to the owner and that's because you're part philanthropist no that's just where our cost came I'm in there's, there's a reason wow um, so 300 square foot, y'all, that'll probably got your attention. Another kind of mic drop moment. Um, yeah. Um, so That's incredible. Yeah, it's really quite incredible. So this thing where it costs more is not, it is an illusion that people have created in their mind. I've lost, I've lost plaster projects that the owners wanted clay plaster when I was just doing clay plasters or lime plasters. And they're like, oh, we really wanted clay plaster, but the contractor said that your cost was too much. And I was like, well, that's really funny because your con- contractor never asked me for a cost. Never took yeah. the time to get a bid, just assumed it. Yeah, it's a hard industry, man. It's like I'm trying to feel for the what it's like to be a general contractor, to be a builder. Um, and you know it now. You're living it. Just touching back on one thing, and I'd like to actually finish with what you're doing right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to try to make this uh, hypothetical, but a buddy of mine was going to do some performance testing at a house 
walks in, your house is under construction. This is like a pre-sheetrock testing. Ah, sheetrock. Another topic we touched on today. Um, and the spray foam contractor is there. And so he took a picture uh, to, just to document it. There is the plumber, the carpenters. He's there with his blower door. And the spray foam guys in their hazmat suits are installing, right? And um, he goes over to the project manager and says, hey, you know, what, what's going on here? I'm not going to work when they're installing spray foam. And um, contractor says, we're men here, son, we're men here. And um, my guy, bless his heart, says, well, I hope you men are done having kids um, because, you know, the, the breast effects kind of thing is tragic, but kind of like this, this idea that like, it's tough, it's a, it's a tough industry and, and it's, it's somehow implicit in it that we expose ourselves, expose our trades and our laborers to unhealthy environments. Um, that is really, really problematic for me. Um, it shouldn't happen. So I'm, that's just one like huge side effect or huge, you know, main effect or adjacent benefit of this material. And I don't think we stressed enough that it, it how you don't have to bring these materials from afar. Um, but yeah, circling back and kind of maybe getting toward the end here, you are a builder. You're, a, you know, running crews and putting houses together kind of late in your career, no offense there, Tim. And uh, really the rubber's meeting the road, your pop popularity, or at least what is it? The recognition that and of society toward these materials is finally starting to happen for you. Um, where do you see that going for yourself? Um, I see us going in a direction of being in consultants, um, training crews. Um, I mean, we got big projects all over the country. Oh, really? Projects that are 100 units that people want to do. So these projects are aspirational currently or happening going up? Um, they're aspirational right now. I mean, we've had. Yeah, but still. Yeah, meetings with. Yeah, I've met with. Yeah, three in the last few weeks. Um, but there are developers that know that if they can make a building with natural materials, that it's going to be better for the people that live in them, um, which is where their focus is. They know that if they build those type of houses, that there's a huge market for them. Um, and to get into it, you can charge whatever price you want because it doesn't matter. People are going to buy them. Yeah. The only reason people are buying the houses that are on the market today is because it's the only ones that are available with the spray foam and all of that stuff, you know? People would mm -hmm. really prefer mm -hmm. not, not to have that. So it's, but those people also understand that the knowledge base is not out there with these historic materials. Um, it, it's almost lost to tell you the truth. Wow. And so we're trying to figure out how do we position ourselves to be able to help in more of a national or international level with setting up training programs to teach other conventional crews to switch over to using nature-based solution materials Mm -hmm. um, and not be the ones that are actually coming in and saying, no, we're the ones that are the only ones that know how to build this. Say, this is the materials that we use. This is our track record with using these materials. This is our success with using these materials. 
we've been hired to come in and turn your drywall company into a clay plaster company. Or we've been hired to come in and turn your conventional construction company mm -hmm. into a hempcrete building company or to our, uh, our masons that are out there. We're here to show you, you got great, yeah. great masonry skills, but we're here to show you how this hempcrete block with a lime mortar goes into this mass timber frame building. Um, and so, and then also doing the mm -hmm. consulting and really trying to move into like, how do we position ourselves to help to um, get into AIA continuing education courses for the architects so we yeah. can show them into those mainstream practices, the mainstream practices. So people can start to say, Hey, this is exactly what we need. We're not getting taught it in college. I mean, it's just not getting taught in college, Christoph. None of this natural material stuff is. Um, and with the MEP 2040 challenge that you're a signature yeah. on, it's like, how do we support you guys with educational programs yeah, well, yeah. so that we can move in this direction? Because, that, oh, I mean, the clock is ticking, brother. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. Clock, clock is ticking. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll keep concise, but really appreciate your time. And, and it sounds like, so my last question was, can hempcrete scale? And it sounds like you're optimistic that it can. I mean, and you, that's sort of the, the next chapter in your career is to really focus on the scaling issue, the training issue, this lost art, these lost uh, skills. And that, yeah, we already do plasters, right? We could do natural plasters. We already do masonry. We could do natural materials. Yeah. Yeah. So it's readily transferable. Um, yes. And can, can hemp, industrial hemp scale? Um, there's a lot of people that are working really hard on it, trying to make it scale, trying to put it into rotation crops. Yeah. The reality, vast scale. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The reality of the world is, though, I need architects to start to spec it the developers to start to say, Hey, we're going in a different direction here. We know that it might be cost us a little bit more out the gun, but we know that in five years that we're going to be ahead of the curve. And that is what eventually using more herd, building more hempcrete houses is what's going to actually help our local farmers and our small scale farmers and our large scale farmers, because the farmers want to get it into the rotational crop. But farmers are farmers. I grew up on a farm in the 70s and 80s, you know, under 300 acre farm. You know, that's what I grew up in. One thing that I've learned in FFA and 4-H is that farmers need to make money. And if they, yeah, can't, they, need to, they need to if they can't make money growing hemp, they got no problem growing GMO corn and GMO soybeans. You know, mm -hmm. and so at the end of the day provide for their families yeah. yeah provide for their families so how do we create this circular economy well we need people to step up to bat mm -hmm. here here you know this is this is a plea for that y'all listening and and it, it it is a it's a pump priming dilemma or a chicken and egg dilemma right we need to spec it and the initial the folks that initially spec it what is going to be their experience it's going to require some resolve and some patience because the societal infrastructure to deliver hempcrete homes at scale doesn't yet exist. And yet if that becomes 
a permanent blocker, well, then it's a permanent blocker. And so we never get there. So I have no doubt that it's going to happen. In fact, it is happening, right? Just like the energy transition off of fossil fuels to renewables is happening. It's an inexorable societal transition. And with hempcrete, it's just the the multiple simultaneous benefits at the interior of the home level to the outdoor environmental level and farmers. And yeah, it, there's too many good things. And I think that the the resolve to push through the initial pump priming pain is simply the benefits for for the families that live in these buildings and for the outdoor ecosystems that won't be you know filled with fertilizers and pesticides. Yeah, and um, and on that same note, Christoph, we're talking about these materials, the hempcrete and the lime and the clay, and these are historic materials that have got thousands of years of success that are still here. There are structures that are still here, 2000 years old. <laughs> we cannot, yeah, keep, versus we cannot, 80 year old we can't, houses, yeah, we uh, can hardly keep a conventional building around for a hundred years. Exactly. You know, we can't, even. we can't go 10 years without having to remodel it, Yeah. you know? And so yeah. at some point in time, we have to look at the initial price up front, which we just talked yeah. about can be exactly the same, you know, um, are cheaper than a custom house right now. The conventional track house is $170 a square foot construction cost. Um, we're really close to hitting that mark with a simple design, really close. Yeah. I'm not even afraid of going down that path with a simple design. I'm going to be in, I'm going to be in charge of working with the architects and getting the design that we want to make it simple, you know, so that we can meet those price points. Right. And that, and that's not even using the economies of scale that would come from a mature industry. Yeah, or getting crews trained. I mean, I can't keep six people on the same crew for more than a year and a half at a time. You know, I've got to try to figure out a way to, to get projects closer together so we can keep the same crew together. Because once you get a crew that's worked together of five or six people, men and women, um, their efficiency goes through the roof. And therefore, your price to build a building drops dramatically. Mm -hmm. But right now, you're splitting them up and putting them, getting, asking them to start new crews around themselves. Is that right? I mean, we're every project's two and a half hours away from where we live, and we're yeah. trying to do that by staying on site as much as we can. You know, we set up a really nice worker camp, but at the same time, you're not going home every night. Um, yeah. Not everybody can do that. It's a hardship. You, you have to be committed to making a change. That's why we're looking at these developers um, and these projects where there's five, 10, 15 houses in a row, and they're all going to be kind of the same so that we can get some sort of stability in the distance that we're traveling. Because if I've got 10 houses to build over in the Wimberley area, well, now we can go after rentals so that we can actually move families there for two or three years. Um, so that they can go home at night. But when home is two hours away, and then you got to try to figure out how to get a per diem and get them put up in motel rooms, and they're still on the road driving, you know, it's, um, it's, it's not a possibility. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm with you. Those are the challenges. Um, mm -hmm. And we're, we're jumping into them with uh, everything we got. Um, we're building community around people that want to make that change. 
And so that's really exciting. Really exciting. Thank you, Tim. Yeah. I think, uh, start thinking about maybe if you have a final comment, I'm going to make, make one here and it is, uh, just appreciation. You know, I think what you just said is committed to making a change, right? Committed to that. And everyone listening, right? It's simple. Learn more about hempcrete, learn more about natural building materials generally, and ask people on your project team, ask your architects, ask your builders, ask for it, you know, and if, if they immediately push you away and push you in another direction, say you're naive or your understanding is unsophisticated, you've still planted a seed, right? Um, and, you know, those of you writing the checks to get these houses built, that's the owners and developers, you have role power and agency in this decision. Um, and is what is it that you want? Do you just want a house or do you want an excellent house? Yeah, that, that idea of being committed to making a change Um it's all of us that that uh, are involved in making a change. So, Tim, thank you. Um, any any final thoughts? And I don't mean to put you on the spot. You don't have to have anything profound. <laughs> the only the only th- people that can make change happen is people who make a commitment to make the change, to be the change. Mm. You know, and. There's a lot of honor in being one of those people that has decided that this is a change that we want to do. This is a direction that we want to go. And it, it can be humbling, but it also can be incredibly empowering at the same time. And just remember um, out there that we all have bravery in us. So as you go down this path and wanting to make change and be a positive change, just remember you've got bravery in you. And don't be afraid to be brave. That is an excellent place. Yeah. Oh, do you have more? No, I do not. Thank you. I, I just want to remind you, like, thank you, Tim. You're and, and And, and uh, when you're being brave, when someone is displaying courage in the world, the emotion is one of vulnerability, right? So it's this interesting thing, you know, we might see the movie, we see Conan up there fighting a dragon, and we think he's being brave. Well, if his emotion isn't fear, then you have Conan in denial or delusion. <laughs> so when you're brave, your emotion is is one of uh, vulnerability and fear. So that's, that's a beautiful way to end it, you know, actually, Tim, is that we all are called to be brave and be committed. So thank you so much, Tim, and thank you all for listening. We'll talk to you next time.